As we begin our message today, I want to ask you to think back to a time when you had to exert a lot of effort to achieve something. So this could be a project that you had in a work context or an assignment that you had at school. It could be something adventurous that you did, maybe going for a a long hike or climbing a mountain or going whitewater rafting. Uh, It could be something like training for an event, so maybe training for a 10K run or a marathon or a triathlon if you're really, really enthusiastic. But I want you to try and think of something where during your life you know that you put a lot of effort in so that then something could be achieved on the end of it. And I want you to hold on to that as we go through our message because we're going to come back to that in a little while. Today we've been hearing a bit about what the kids have been talking about in God's Gang this term. And as we mentioned, one of the weeks they spent some time talking about what is different about Jesus. And so we thought that it might be helpful to then spend a bit of time talking about that for us as well. Because the reality is, as we've talked about a lot, that our culture has shifted very, very significantly. And so the majority of people in our culture really believe that everything's kind of equal. So every belief system, every value system, it's all kind of equal. As long as you're trying to be a good person, that's all that really matters. And it doesn't make a big difference what you do or don't believe. And so for us, we need to wrestle with that. And to be able to say, is there something unique, something different, something significant about Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us, Because if there is, then we want to be able to talk about that in really, really healthy ways. So today, to do that, we're going to have a look at this passage that comes from John chapter 14. And so the context for this passage is the Last Supper. And so if you think back earlier this year, we spent some time uh, talking about the events leading up to Easter. And in particular, we talked about that moment when Jesus had gathered his disciples, his closest friends, for one final meal before he went on that journey to the cross. And in John's account, what's happened just before this is that Jesus has spent some time washing his disciples' feet as a symbol that he came to serve, not to be served himself. And then they've had the conversations that we've unpacked. Judas is going to betray me. Peter, you're going to deny me. And so, as we discussed, that's a kind of heavy moment for the disciples. They're seated around the table with all of this stuff swirling in their minds. Jesus has just washed my feet. I feel so inadequate about that. There's no way he should have done that for me. I should have done that for him. Judas is going to betray Jesus. Jesus is going to die. That's what he's just told us. That can't be right. Peter, Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, he's going to deny that he even knows him. None of that seems to make any sense. So the disciples are just swirling with all this emotion and all of this confusion. And into that, Jesus says... These words in John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You're trusting in God, now trust in me. And isn't it amazing that Jesus, even in the midst of what he's about to go through, all of the stuff that he knows is coming for him, is able to turn his attention to bringing comfort to his disciples. In that moment, to take time to say, it's okay, guys. It's going to be okay. Don't get overwhelmed. Don't get too worried about what's coming. But trust in God. You know what God is like. You know the character of God. And so trust in that. But you also know me. You've spent time with me. You know what my heart is. You know what I'm focused on. So trust in me as well. Trust that this is all going to be okay. Don't let it overwhelm you. 
And then Jesus seems to kind of go off on this weird tangent. He says in verse 2, There are many homes up there where my father lives, and I'm going to prepare them for your coming. When everything is ready, then I will come and get you, so that you can always be with me where I am. If this weren't so, I would tell you plainly. And you know where I'm going and how to get there. So Jesus now starts talking about this place up there where my father lives. And throughout scripture, when we talk about heaven, that's generally what we're referring to. Often we think of heaven as up there, because throughout scripture, often when they talk about heaven or the heavens, they're actually talking about the sky. But we understand heaven to be that place where God lives, that place where we get to experience God's way of life 100% of the time. And so Jesus says, in that place where God lives, there is a mansion. There's many homes. There's a set of apartments, a place where I'm going to prepare a way for you. Seems a little bit odd. And the language that Jesus is using here is of someone who kind of goes ahead to get things ready for a group of people who are coming to stay. And so many of you are aware that we had some friends from Canada who came and stayed with us back in March. And so before they came, we got everything ready for them. We made beds for them, we planned what the week was going to be like, where we were going to go, we planned our meals out. We got everything ready so that when they came, everything would be prepared and they could feel at home and they could feel comfortable. And that's the imagery that Jesus is tapping into here. He's saying, I need to go ahead of you to prepare a place for you, to get all of that ready for when you come as well. And then he says, if it weren't true, then I wouldn't lead you on. Being honest with you, I wouldn't just make this stuff up just to make you feel better. Again, you know me, you know my character, you know that I'm telling the truth here. So good old Thomas then pipes up at this point. Between Thomas and Peter, we have these people who just say whatever is on their minds. And in verse 5, Thomas says probably what most of them are thinking. No, we don't know what you're talking about. We haven't any idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Thomas says... What are you talking about, Jesus? What are you talking about? You're going to prepare a place. What mansion are you going to? Whose house? Where are you going? You're going to set stuff up for us? What, and we know the way. We don't know the way. We don't have a clue what it is that you're talking about. And so Jesus then clarifies with these words from John 14, 6 in particular that are very, very well-known words. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you'd known who I am, then you would have known who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And so Jesus says, Thomas, you've kind of missed what I'm saying here. I'm not talking about a roadmap to show you where you need to go. I'm the roadmap. I'm the way. I'm the one that you need to follow to look to, to have direction in your life. I'm the one who shows you where you need to go, where you need to turn, what you need to do. But not only that, I'm the truth. I'm the one who helps you to know who you are. I'm the one who helps you to know who God is. I'm the one who helps you to know how life is supposed to work. And even more than that, actually, I am the life. I'm the ultimate opportunity for you to experience life the way that you're supposed to experience it. Here, now, but also for eternity. I'm the one who opens that up for you. And then Jesus says, if you had known who I am, then you would know who my father is. 
from now on you know him and you've seen him. And this is really, really important to us because we talk about how Jesus is the one who shows us exactly what God is like. This is one of the key verses that reminds us of that, that when we look at Jesus, we see the full embodiment of who God is. We understand what's important to God, what God is passionate about, lived out through Jesus. But this verse in John 14, 6 is one of the hardest, most challenging verses for us to get our head around as we talk about this idea of Jesus being very, very different. Because it's one of the reasons that a lot of people actually really struggle with Christianity. Because Jesus is saying here, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And so people can kind of say, well, okay, you're a way and a truth and a version of life. But when Jesus then flat out says, no one can come to the Father except through me, seems to be this very exclusive claim that Jesus is making, which is really difficult for a lot of people to think about. Because the perception that comes across is that Jesus is kind of like this, like a bouncer at a club at the gates of heaven. And Jesus says, no one gets in except through me. So if you want to come in here, you show me your ID card, you prove to me that you're worthy, and then maybe I'll let you in. But line up there, wait until I tell you. And that's the perception that we can have from what Jesus is saying here. And as I said at the start, our culture really struggles with that level of exclusivity. How can you possibly say, no, it's my way or the highway? If you don't like it, then go, it's not going to happen for you. Our culture really, really struggles with that. So there seems to be this exclusive thing that Jesus is saying, this thing that excludes people. But I actually think what Jesus is saying here is radically inclusive. And it includes a lot more people than we're often aware of. And here's why. If I was to say what the main difference is between Christianity and every other belief system in the world, it's simply this. Every other belief system is about what I need to do in order to get to wherever it is that I'm going. So I'll give you a couple of examples of that. Judaism, so being Jewish, is about following a set of laws, the laws that we have in the Old Testament. And so if you follow those laws correctly, if you do the things that you're supposed to do, particularly around things like food and the Sabbath, and if you don't do the things that you're not supposed to do, the understanding is if you do that enough and then make sacrifices for the times that you mess up, then you'll be accepted by God. You'll be accepted into heaven. If we think about Islam, to be a devout Muslim means that you follow a set of very, very important practices. You stop and you pray five times every day. You fast for a month during Ramadan, which is just finished. You make sure that you're doing acts of charity. And again, the hope is if I do these things enough, then I'm going to be accepted and I'll ultimately be welcomed into heaven. Even a belief system like Buddhism, it's all about what we do. So Buddhism is about, at its core, saying, if I can let go of desire, the desire to have earthly stuff, then that will help me to reach enlightenment. My goal is to empty my mind enough of all of that stuff, and if I can do that, then I'll reach enlightenment. Now, obviously, there's a lot more to all of those belief systems than that. But at the core of all of them, That's really what it's about. What do I have to do in order to be able to achieve whatever is the goal of that belief system? And we always want to remember that people who believe things that are different to us are not necessarily bad people. In actual fact, a lot of the practices that a lot of other belief systems have, if we were as focused and as passionate 
then the world would be a far better place. I think about the reality that a Muslim stops five times a day to pray. If every person around the world who follows Jesus, everyone who calls themselves a Christian, stopped five times every single day to recognise who God is, to think God's present, God's here with me, what's God up to? If all of us who are following Jesus five times a day did that every single day, the world would probably be a very, very different place. (laughs) If all of us took a month every year to stop and to fast and to say, God, you're the most important thing in my life. There's nothing that's more important than you. And I use this as an opportunity to remind myself of how important you are to me and that you're the one who sustains me. Again, the world would be a very different place. Even tapping into some of the elements of what a Buddhist practices. If we as Christians said we recognise that having desires for stuff is actually something that gets in the way of us being able to experience what God wants us to experience, didn't get so trapped into the world of consumerism, the world would probably be a very, very different place. So we want to recognise that these practices that people do in themselves are not inherently bad things. And in actual fact, sometimes we could learn from some of those practices so that we can more authentically follow Jesus. But the challenge is, with all of those religions, it is about what I have to do. If I can do these things well enough, then hopefully I'll end up getting to wherever it is that I want to go. But we spend our whole lives then living with this anxiety. Have I done enough? Have I got it right? Did I do enough this week? Am I on the right track? Where am I going? And so one of the most helpful images for me to think about what this looks like is the idea of mountains in a mountain range. And so if we think of every single mountain in a mountain range as being a a different belief system. So one of them is Islam, one of them's Judaism, one of them's Buddhism, one of them's Hinduism, one of them's Christianity. The goal with every belief system is to get to the top of the mountain. So with all of the other belief systems in the world, it looks like me working hard enough to climb up the mountain. So if I do enough right, if I get these things right, if I do these practices enough, then my hope is that by the time I finish my life, I've reached the top of the mountain. I've been accepted by God, welcomed into heaven, reached enlightenment, whatever it might be. That is the goal of my belief system. Christianity is the only belief system in the world where God himself comes down from the top of the mountain to the bottom of the mountain before we've even started climbing in the person of Jesus. God doesn't wait for us to come to him. He comes to us. But it's even better than that. God then scoops us up through Jesus and puts us on top of the mountain. It's done. So our lives are not about us striving and trying to work hard enough to climb up to the top of the mountain and to hope that by the end of my life I've done enough good deeds and I haven't messed up enough that I can get to the peak and that God will then accept me. That bouncer Jesus, who's standing at the top of the mountain, will say, all right, come on, you can come in. That's not at all the way that our understanding is of what Christianity is all about. And now because we're placed on top of the mountain where God is, God simply says, look at the world from a different perspective. Understand things in a different way because you're up here. You can see things from my view instead of seeing things from your view where it's just about trying to scale the mountain. So when we come back to this verse, John 14 verse 6, 
Well, we have Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is not saying, I'm the bouncer. You better have your ticket ready. You better have worked hard enough to get to the top of the mountain. Instead, what he's saying is, if you think you can work hard enough to get to the top of the mountain, to get to where God is, you're wrong. That's not the way into God's family. So it's not Jesus saying, you can't get to God unless you go through me. It's Jesus saying, you can't do enough to earn your way into God's family because it's not about what you do. It's about what I've done for you. It's a free gift. You can't earn it, so stop trying to earn it. And if you think that you can work hard enough, you're going to be disappointed because that's not the way into God's family. Now, that's really, really hard for us to accept because our culture is very, very focused on if you work hard, then you get things. And if you mess up, then there's a consequence of what you do. And so for us, we kind of tap into that mindset. Going back to that example that I said for you to think about at the start, we're used to that idea. If I work hard enough, then I can achieve. I can finish that project. I can finish that assignment. I can do that adventurous thing. I can complete the 10K. If I work hard enough, then I'll get the reward at the end of it. That's how our whole culture is shaped. And so for us to be in a place where instead we're saying, actually, it's not about what we achieve. It's not about us working hard enough. We kind of pull back from that. So that can't be right. Sounds almost too good to be true. And the implications of this are absolutely massive. Because as we head into this week, everything changes. This week is not about me working hard enough to hope that I can climb up the mountain a little bit further than where I was. That's not the purpose of this week. This week is not about me feeling anxious about whether I've done enough, have I got more in the bank that's a good thing than the bad things that I've done. We actually this week get to focus on what we get to do instead of what we have to do. That's the major difference. So I don't have to pray as I go into this week. It's not something I have to do in order to earn God's favour. But instead, I get to pray. I get the opportunity to talk to God and to listen to God, recognising that God loves me exactly as I am. And I can have this amazing relational conversation as I go through this week. I don't have to do kind things to other people because if I don't, then there's a consequence on the other side of that. Instead, I get to serve the people that I interact with the same way that Jesus came to serve. I get to recognise that every person I interact with this week is a person that God loves. So I've got an opportunity to be able to connect with them and to serve them. I don't have to go and tell people about Jesus because if I don't, then something really negative is going to happen. I get to share with people about this joy and this freedom that I have discovered because of the truth of what Jesus has done for me, because of the new perspective that I get because of who Jesus is. Have to, no, get to, that's what this week is about. So we don't at all believe that all belief systems, value systems are equal. We do believe that there's something unique and different 
about Jesus. But neither do we believe that we have to be focused on having the right answer, doing the right things, doing the right set of beliefs, because otherwise we're not going to be accepted. We simply believe that there is something absolutely radically different about Jesus and what he has done for us. This amazing truth that he chose to come down off the mountain to meet us where we're at and then to say, it's not about you trying hard enough. It's about you recognising what I've done for you and that I've placed you up here with me, with God, as a part of God's family. So now see the world from a different perspective. So if we can have the kids who are going to help with communion come forward. This is the reason why I wanted us to finish with communion today, is to recognise that that's why we celebrate this, week in and week out. We don't do this as something that we have to do because of a practice that if we don't take communion, then we're going to be in trouble. We do this because symbolically this reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. The bread reminds us that Jesus' body was given for us, that Jesus poured himself fully into this mission of rescuing us and putting us on top of the mountain. He gave him his full self for that. And then the juice reminds us that Jesus' blood was poured out for us as a final sacrifice. No longer is there this sacrificial system in place where we have to, again, do the right things and make sure that we've covered over the mistakes that we've made. The sacrifice has been done. It's finished. It's over. And so Jesus tells us there is now a new covenant, a new promise, a new relationship in place between us and God. We're a part of his family. And so we take this week after week after week as the reminder of that, that our culture that tells us it's all about how hard you work, we come here to be reminded, no, that's not the truth of what we believe. Instead, we come to be reminded we've been set free. And so we can now live this week in the joy that comes from that. So kids, when you come forward, and I'm going to pray. Jesus, we do thank you that there is something very, very unique about you. That you would choose to leave heaven, to leave the place where everything is exactly the way that God designed it to be and that you would become one of us, that you would choose to become human, you would choose to become a little helpless baby, that you would choose to live a life so that you could identify fully with us, understand what life is like for us, but also to show us exactly what God is like and to show us what a life that's fully surrendered to God's purposes looks like. So we're so grateful for you, for your life, but also for your death and your resurrection. That now means that the way has been cleared and opened for us to be able to fully participate in God's family, to be able to fully participate in the work that God is doing in us and around us as we go into this week. And so as we take communion this morning, we pray that you would remind us of all of those truths, that if we need to take some time to recognise those moments where we continue to try and earn what you've already done for us, that we would be alerted to those areas of our lives and that we would be able to surrender them back to you to say, help me live this week out of the freedom that comes 
from what you have done for us. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's pray and then we're going to close our time with one final song. Jesus, again, we are so grateful for who you are. We're grateful that there is something different and unique about you. But that thing that's different and unique is not that we have to try harder in order to earn your approval. It's not that our lives are about trying to earn that ID card to get us a ticket into heaven. But it's so relational that you came to do away with religious practices as the need in order to earn God's favour. That you came instead to give us freedom to live our lives through you, to follow in your footsteps. And so as we head into this week, my prayer is that you would continue to challenge us. You'd continue to challenge those areas of our lives where we feel like we still need to earn your love. We feel like we need to still earn your favour. Help us to recognise that it's done. It's finished. It's been given to us as a free gift. And so the only requirement that you have for us this week is to live out of that freedom, to live with a sense of joy about what we get to do instead of focusing on the things that we have to do. Continue to release us, continue to allow us to experience all that you've got for us. We do believe that you are the way, that you are the truth, and that you are the life. And so we want to experience more of that as we head into this week. In your name we pray. Amen.